Luke chapter 11. I'm going to speak this morning using the subject title, Believe and it shall be as God has said. Believe and it shall be as God has said. In case you've been living in Mars, let me remind you that on planet Earth right now, this is the month of June. We are six months into the year 2015. Wow. I can remember just, it looked like a few weeks ago when we had the uh, New Year's Eve service. We are six months into 2015, you all. Next month is July. And it's the seventh month in the calendar. Seven is a very significant number in the economy of God. It's God's number for perfection. It's when God rests. It's when God finished everything that he's doing. Now, why am I saying this? I'm saying this to you because I want you to recognize that you and I are on the eve of something significant. Amen. I'm saying to you that something real good is about to happen to you. Amen. Uh, you guys are not responding like you understand what I'm saying. I'm saying to you something real good is around the corner. God has been so gracious as he always does to give us signs and give us things to help trigger memorials, to help us to see and to help us to try to understand what season they're in. Last Friday night, we named a baby. Oh, should I even say? We named a miracle baby. How many times in your lifetime does a 50-year-old woman give birth to a child? How many times? Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. God said, I will give you a sign. And a virgin will conceive. And bring forth a son. So in our day and in our time, God wants you to know that it's about to get into your business. And whatever the enemy has written about you, I'm assuring you this day that God has already changed it. Yeah. Every handwriting of the devil concerning you, God has already frustrated. Yeah. And in this next month, we won't just be talking about it, 
will be seen the manifestation of it. And so God sent a sign. So you will know that the God that did it for the Adeyemis is not a private local God. But that same God is no respecter of persons. He has already finished the good work concerning you and your eyes are going to begin to see it. Huge. There is a huge shift that has already taken place in the spirit. Huge shift. Huge shift. I sent this weeks ago. I shared this with my wife and with Sammy. And there are some things about this I cannot share today yet, but I will share it later. Because everything must be given its season and its time. Huge. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? This is the last Sunday of June. The next time we come together here, it will be, it will be a new month. And not only will it be a new month, it will be a new beginning for you. It will be a new breakthrough for you. It will be a new blessings for you. It will be a new dimension of God's love and grace concerning you. It will be a new month of power, of blessings, of prosperity, of wholeness, of healing. In the name of Jesus. Believe. And it shall be as God has said. Oh, I don't know who I'm speaking to this morning, but I'm telling you, believe only and it shall be as God has already said. Now, Luke chapter 11. I was so blessed by being in prayer last Friday. And let me just say this, as a pastor, as your father, as your friend, I don't want you to miss those now God moments. Last Sunday, we announced what God did with the baby. We all rejoiced. We clapped. We shouted. We were excited. And on Friday night, I saw a handful of people. How could you have missed such a momentous occasion? What could you possibly be doing that was more important to being at a place where you know God was there. God. Please, don't be careless. In the days, weeks, and months to come. Now, I know some of us have some valid reasons. Maybe you were at work, something happened. I understand that. I'm not talking to you. But I'm talking to those of us who are at home, laying down, watching CNN. Or lifetime, or whatever you are watching. Why would you want to miss what God is doing? So, in the weeks to come, in the months to come, be diligent to press in so that you do not miss the day of your visitation. Yes. You will not miss it in Jesus' name. Yes. God's grace is your portion in Jesus' name. Yes. Now, Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. I was so blessed in prayer on Friday that everyone that prayed did an excellent job. But not only did they do an excellent job, they brought something from God that stirred up something at least I know for sure, for sure in me. Everyone that prayed had something to say. 
a dimension of God's grace and blessing and anointing that came forth. Amen? Luke chapter 11. And again, this morning I'm speaking on believe. It shall be as God has said. This is Jesus speaking, Luke 11. In verse 9, he says, Say, I said to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Is that simple enough? Ask, you will receive. Seek, you will find. Knock, and it shall be opened. That is simple as it gets. But Jesus took the time to go over that again in case that just flew over our heads. So he comes back in verse 11. Oh no, rather verse 10. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Please help me this morning. I know English is not my first language. So help me out. For all of you sound English speakers. In verse 10 when it says for everyone. Does that, who does that include? Everyone. Are you sure about that? Everyone who asks receive. Who is everyone? Does that include you? Does that include me? Does that include everybody? Everyone. Now, wait a minute. Now, this is such a bold statement. Isaiah didn't say it. Moses didn't say it. Jeremiah didn't say it. Jesus said, everyone, whoever you are. Here's the catch. Many of us are already thinking, you have to be a Christian to ask and receive. Jesus did not make that definition. Everyone who asks receives. For many of us already, our religion and theology is blown away. Because you already narrowed it down to a certain class and group of people who suits your comfort. Everyone. Say everyone. everyone. Say everyone. everyone. It's important. Everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And everyone who knocks, the door gets opened. Now, if Jesus made that statement, let's bring it down to our own experience. Is that true in our lives? <laughs> Every time you've asked, have you received? This is where the, this is where the conversation is taking place. Okay, let me let me rephrase that question this way. Jesus's intention is that everyone who receives is that correct? Is that the experience of everyone here? Why is that so? We're going to get to that in a minute. Remember the subject that we're talking about. Believe and it shall be as God has said. Now, Jesus did something that's totally, completely radical. 
Because he made this statement. And then in a few chapters later, he told a story to help corroborate what he has said. So we go to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Beginning from verse 12, it tells a story about his son who came to his father. Let's read it. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. What did he tell us in Luke chapter 11? Everyone who asks receives. So in Luke 15, he tells us a story about a father who has two sons. And the younger one had the audacity to ask his father for something that's totally, completely unreasonable. Oh, you guys are not, you guys must not follow. What did the boy ask for? His inheritance. The man is alive, he's living, he has not died. And the boy said, give me the portion of goods in your will for me. By natural standards, that was a asking that was totally, completely stupid, crazy, irrelevant, unreasonable, undoable. Because there must be a death before you can execute a will. The father was alive. And the boy said, give me my will. Hello? Now, please don't forget. For the most part, we've been taught in Sunday school and great churches that this story is about the story of a prodigal son. Nothing can be further from the truth. The story is about the prodigal love of a father. Number one. Number two. Say number two. two. Say number two. two. It is also the story of a boy who believed. Yes. Yes, He was crazy enough to believe that no matter how ridiculous his demand was, that no matter how ridiculous his ask is, if I ask it of my father, my father is obligated to deliver. Oh, I don't know about you this morning. This boy, in the confidence of his belief system, went to his father, asked for something that was unavailable, ridiculous, crazy, unreasonable, but he had the confidence that because his father had it, he can ask it. And if I ask it, I receive it. And you saw it. The father did not debate it. The father did not say, why are you asking? I'm not dead. The father did not say, wait a minute, this is a will. I have to die before I give it. Listen, because the boy had the confidence and the audacity to place a ask, the father in his graciousness released the supply. I don't know what your problem is this morning, but I'm here to tell you, you serve a God who is big enough, who is loving enough, who is gracious enough 
to supply your need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Believe only and it shall be as God has said. Thank God that boy was not a part of our church. He had not been spoiled with traditional thinking and traditional churchianity. Nobody has given him a seminar in what not to ask. He didn't know any better. All he did was, you know, I know my father loves me. And I know my father has everything I will ever need. Whether it is out of protocol or in protocol, I don't know. All I know is I have a need. I have a father that can supply it. I don't know whether it fits your theology or does not fit your theology. I'm going to step forward. I'm going to open my mouth. I'm going to do my asking. I'm going to leave it up to my father to respond or not respond. Ask. And you receive. Seek. And you will find. Knock. And the door shall be open. And Jesus told the story to show you that what he's saying is true. The boy did the asking. The father did the supplying. And I'm trying to get your mind to be prepared for what God wants to do in, in July. Amen. To show you how confident this boy was. Let's read verse 18 of Luke 15. Verse 18 of Luke 15. Now, this is after he has taken his inheritance. He has squandered it in righteous living. He's broke now. And verse 18 says, I will arise and go to my father. Stop right there. Do you see this boy again? I'm down right now. I have blown it. I've squandered my inheritance. I've made all the mistakes I can ever make. I can sit here in this valley and wallow in my own misery, self-pity, condemnation, shame, and guilt. Or I can put on my mindset of belief again, knowing that no matter how bad I've blown it, I believe my father will never reject me. Yes. So I will arise. Yes. I will not sit in this valley. I will not sit in this darkness. I will not sit here and have a pity party. I will arise. Why? I believe my father. I believe in his love. I believe he will receive me again. So what he did at the beginning in verse 11 is not a fluke. You didn't, you didn't hear what I said. When he asked for the inheritance, believing he would receive it, it's not a fluke. Why? Because in Luke 18, 
verse 18, after he had made terrible mistake, he still said, I will arise and go. Are you arising this morning? Have you blown it? Have you made mistakes in your life? Have you been in the wrong places? Have you done the wrong things? Are you allowing the enemy to put upon you the heap of guilt, shame, and condemnation? Or will you knowing you have a father in heaven who loves you unconditionally? Yes. And you know that you know that you know that you know that you ever may have happened. He's got your back. God has your back this morning. Do you believe that? I said, God has your back. Now, I began by saying the title this morning is Believe. And it shall be as God has said. Now, go with me to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. I am so convinced. Am I on? I am so convinced that we're on the verge of a corporate breakthrough. Yeah. I am so convinced we are on the verge of a corporate breakthrough. And for those of you who need a sign, Abigail, Grace, is your sign. Did you hear what I just said? You need a sign. God say, okay, I, I know, I know, I know. Your, your, your faith is, is fledging. You, 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 you weak. Yeah, I'm going to give you a sign. Because from among you, I'm going to do something that you've not heard of, seen of in a long, long time. Yes. So that when your faith is getting weak, when the attack is coming upon you, when things are not going quite right, just remember, remember. Abigail, grace. Can you remember that? Yes. Say that with me. Abigail. Abigail. Grace. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Luke 24. Luke 24. All right. We can almost read the whole chapter. But I will spare you all of it. Let's start from verse 13. Here is the context. Jesus had been crucified, dead, buried, and risen from the dead. But as of this time, his resurrection was not totally evident to all. He's risen from the dead, but the disciples were not quite sure if it is so. So in verse 13, now behold, Two of them were traveling that same day. What day was that? Resurrection day. To a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was, while they conversed, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Let me stop there for a second and just try to see if I can make any, I can uh, do some justice to this. 
So on this resurrection day, these two disciples were so despondent, so heartbroken, so disappointed. Why? Because the Jesus they knew, the Jesus they had fellowshiped with, the Jesus they had walked with all of a sudden was dead, buried. And even though he had risen from the dead, they were not quite sure. So all of a sudden, three years of fellowship, they're wondering, what's left? What do we do now? What happens from here? So what did they do? They packed their bags on the road to a miles. A miles means hot bath. A place of hot bath. Let me bring it to temporary terms. You are in a situation where darkness has engulfed you. You are in a situation where you are despondent, disappointed, disillusioned. Something's happening around you that you cannot explain. You lack understanding. And like these two disciples, what do you do? You are trying to medicate your pain by going to a mouse. The place of comfort. The place where you're trying to seek some kind of relief from the situation that's happening to you. For some of us, it's booze. Others of us, it's drugs. For some of us, it may be sex. Whatever it is that suits your condition or situation, you escape to it. That's what these guys were doing. They were escaping to Emmaus to seek temporary relief from whatever they were despondent or disappointed about. Ah, but look at Jesus. As they walked down to Emmaus, what does the Bible say? The Bible says Jesus joined them along the way. In your time of despondency, in your time of disappointment, in the time of your pain, when you are carrying on with what's happening with you, you are in your own little world, as if the whole world is gone to hell. You are the only one you think is in this situation. God wants you to know. Even though you feel the pain and you are in where you are, God wants you to know Jesus never for one minute abandoned you. Instead, on your road to your Emmaus, he joins you along the way. But notice what happened. The Bible said they were restrained from seeing or recognizing him. This is why I love David so much. Because David in that similar situation, in Psalm 23 verse 4, he said, yeah, though, I walk through the valley of the shadows of death. In other words, even though I'm on my way to Emmaus, thy rod and your staff, they comfort me. Why? Because I know thou art with me. The difference between David and these boys was that David knew that even in his time of despondency, in his times of pain, in the times when things are happening he does not like, David had the assurance and the confidence, thou art with me. And the presence of God in your dilemma, 
the presence of God in your circumstance, the presence of God in whatever situation you're going through makes all the difference. So they were sad. Unfortunately, our pain in the natural has a way of blinding us from seeing his presence. These men were so pained. They were so heartbroken. They were so discouraged. They were so perplexed as to what was happening. Even though Jesus, the creator of the universe, was walking with them, they could not perceive it. They could not recognize it. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your handmaiden. We release your grace upon her life. Whatever God that she's seeking you for, even in this moment, we thank you for open heaven. You said that we should ask and we receive. That when we seek, we will find. And as we knock, the door will be open. We receive reception. We thank you for finding. And we bless your name for open doors in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord God, because you are a great God. And we thank you in the name of Jesus for what you've already done. Let's just shout hallelujah. Hallelujah! Let's give God some praise in this house. Hallelujah! 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 Mama Nereke Beshokotolo Doko Bahanda Rakabaha. Hallelujah! Bless that Holy Spirit. We give you preeminence. You are the one that points to Jesus. Holy Spirit of God, we welcome you. We thank you. We bless you. We thank you, Lord God. Our hearts are open. Write a new, a new, a new way. Write a new thing on the tablets of our hearts. Lord, we surrender to you. We thank you. We bless you, Lord God. Have your way and move among us. Move within us. Move upon us. Blessed be the name of the Lord God Most High. We thank you, Father God. Holy Spirit, we give, we welcome you. We, we, we let you know you can interrupt us anytime you want. Anytime you want, Holy Spirit. This is your house. You are most welcome. We bless you, Lord. And Father, for anybody else who's crying out to you right now in your heart, for anybody else, Lord God, in the valley of decision, for anybody else, Lord God, in the pit in this hour, we release the balm of Gilead. Your balm in Gilead. We release it right now, my Lord and my God. That you take control, that you take that, that you grow by yourself. Honor your own name. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father God. Blessed be the name of the Lord God forever. We bless you, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may take your seats. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Okay. Let me pick, up, pick it up from verse 18. Then one of those, then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said, and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And you have not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word, 
before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. Now, let me, let me make this point. This is a very crucial point. When Pastor Shino was ministering here the last time, he took us to Matthew chapter 16, I believe, where Jesus was asking the question, who do men seem that I am? You remember, you guys remember that message? And Jesus was insisting in the people coming up with the correct definition of who they are, who he is. Notice what we just read. This man, Cleopas, and his friend, is trying to now educate Jesus. And he says to Jesus, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed, and what? So, Cleopas' understanding of who Jesus was, was it was Jesus of Nazareth, and a prophet. Do you understand how he can be where he is? Do you understand how pain can overtake him? Because he has not fully acknowledged who God is. He is still calling Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. A prophet. Until you know who he is. In his divinity. That is the son of God. You can never know who you are. Because your identity is coded in his identity. So this man was still relating to Jesus on the basis of the flesh. Is Jesus of Nazareth. That's where he was born. That's where he's from. Oh, by the way, he's a prophet. That was their understanding of who Jesus was. And therefore, everything Jesus was teaching them and sharing with them, they could not fully grasp it because they were trying to know him in the flesh. Jesus, yes, was born in Nazareth. Yes, he was a prophet, a teacher, preacher, an apostle, wonderful, counselor, mighty. But you need to know, he's beyond all of that. He is the son of God. Yes. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. Huge. Because when you locate him, you locate yourself. And if you do not locate him, you are still wandering around. You will not be able to locate yourself. Let's read on. Verse 21. Now, I'm reading this passage so you can see how and why these guys were lost. You can see why they were in the pain they were in. Verse 21. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Did you hear that? Uh, what were they doing? They, they were, were past tense, hoping. Which means present tense, they are no longer hoping. Yes. Where are you now? Do you still have hope? How do you define hope? Hope is a positive expectation of your future. No matter what's happening to you right now, having hope is having a positive expectation of for your future. This man said we were hoping, which means today, now, we are no longer hoping. Hope is lost. I once asked a doctor in Florida. I remember, I think you were there, you remember. I said, I'm hearing about clinical depression and all kinds of depression. I said, tell me, what is depression? I asked the doctor that question. 
I will never forget in my life his definition. This is what he said. He said, having faith in hopelessness. Do you remember that? Having faith in hopelessness. That is the definition of depression. When the enemy push you and press your button to the point where you completely do not have any more hope, where you believe that your present condition defines your future, that's depression. When you think that your present situation labels and defines your future, that is hopeless. That is depression. So this man said to Jesus, we were hoping. Which means hope is off the table for them. But the Bible says clearly, hope does not make us ashamed. Ah. Hallelujah. Now faith is the evidence of things hoped for. The substance of things that are your sin. I'm sure here a people who did not believe. And because of not believing, they were getting lost. Okay, let me, let me move on. Verse 25, I'm jumping here because I've got to move on. Verse 25. Jesus now addresses the issue head on. Then he said to them, Oh foolish ones, and slow of heart to what? Let's read that one more time, please. All foolish ones and slow of heart to what? That's the issue. The problem with this man, they did not believe. And I'm praying in the name of Jesus that you and I will combat this evil of unbelief head on. Because what God wants to do in this next month can only be done in the atmosphere of faith and believing. Yes. Believe and you will see what God has said to come to pass. Now, let me quickly move on now and talk about unbelief for a minute. If I was asked the question right now, how many of us believe You'd be amazed how many, all of us would raise up our hands. But this morning, God is going to help us to help us define for me and you, each of us, believing. Go to Hebrews chapter 3. So we know now in Luke 24, the problem there was those guys did not believe. Hebrews chapter 3. You're on the eve of your breakthrough. Your breakthrough is around the corner. And nothing will frustrate it in the name of Jesus. There will be no miscarriage of your blessing. There will be no abortion of your blessing. Your blessings will come to you in this season. In Jesus name. Hebrews chapter 3. Verse 12. Look at what it says. Beware brethren. Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Wow. Did you say that? Yes. You and I would not normally define unbelief as an evil. 
If we talk of fornication, you say, yeah, that's evil. If we say adultery, oh, yeah, that's evil. Stealing, oh, man, pastor, that's bad. That's evil. But do you see God's definition? Unbelief is evil. Let us take him for a minute. I don't want to rush it. Unbelief is evil. Now, I'm going to press your button a little while longer. As evil as it's been, many of us have been romancing unbelief. Many of us are in bed with unbelief. You're going to see in a minute because I'm going to, I'm going to break it down. But did you see what God said? Unbelief is evil. Now, let's go to Matthew chapter uh, which one do I want to go to? Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. I'm looking at the time I need to Believe, and it shall be as God has said in Jesus' name. Matthew chapter 17. Let's begin to read from, from verse 14. And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, I'm reading from verse 14, Matthew 17. Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's an epileptic and suffers severely. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation. That word faithless means unbelieving. O unbelieving and perverse generation. How long shall I be with you and how long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and he came out of him, and a child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, because of your what? Unbelief. For as surely I said to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by fasting and praying. Now, go to Mark chapter 9. Let's read the same situation from Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9 verse 14. Mark chapter 9 verse 14. Believe and it shall be as God has said. Mark chapter 14. Mark 9, I'm sorry. Mark 9 chapter, uh, verse 14. Mark 9 verse 14. And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a what? Mute spirit. Now please pay attention because now I want to start showing you that spirit of unbelief. 
who has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down, it foams out the mouth, it gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So now, it's describing the manifestation of the spirit. Unfortunately, we get carried away with the manifestations. Unfortunately, we get carried away with what we see as a manifestation. But we don't understand what's behind it. Okay? So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered him and said, Oh, faithless generation, how long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him, and, his, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. Can you believe this? And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if he can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, If you what? Can what? Believe. Listen to this. Jesus did not say if you are holy. He did not say if you are a good Christian. He did not say, if you love your pastor, it will, it will be good if you love your pastor. <laughs> but that's not a condition. The only condition, the only singular condition to getting anything from God is believe. That's what it took for you to be born again. You have to believe. That's what it takes for you to keep and stay born again. You keep believing. And that's what it takes for you to receive the manifestations of grace. You must believe. Okay. If you can believe, some things are possible. No, 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 no. no. Maybe I'm reading this wrong. If you can believe, some things are possible. All things. What does all mean? So what is standing between me and everything I believe I, I want to, for God to do? Believe. You need, you need to see this. I'm praying that God will help us to see it. The only thing standing between us and our God-given desires is believing. Okay. All things are possible to him who believes. Jesus can tell you this because he showed you in Luke 15 a young son who believed. Yes. Are you following me? Yes, sir. Now, immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. What a contradiction. That's where most of us are. If I ask the question this morning, how many people believe? You raise up to your hands. How many of you believe that God gave that day and a baby? You guys believe that? Yes. Why are you not raising your hand? <laughs> we believe that. But if I was to ask you, if you were 50 years old and you were in that situation, do you believe God can do it? Do you see the difference? 
we can believe for somebody else. I believe God is able to do it for Adeyemi. But if I was in the Adeyemi's shoes, can I believe that God can do it for me? That's where I start saying, God help my unbelief. What does that mean then? If I'm believing for Adeyemi, but I can't believe for myself, you know what that means? I've canceled out my belief. Because the belief that works for me is not the one I have for Adeyemi. The belief that's going to deliver manifestation to me is the one I have for myself in this situation. Now, here is the real key. Please don't miss this. A deaf and dumb spirit is the spirit of unbelief. I will break it down. Religion, traditional Christianity, churchianity helps me to be comfortable to just think dumb, dumb and deaf spirit. Ah, it's a man that cannot speak or hear. Now, that's true also. But I want to tell you that I'm speaking right now to men and women who can hear me and who can speak and yet they have a dumb and deaf spirit. I want to make sure you get what I'm saying. There are instances when you confront a deaf and dumb spirit it's a physical impairment where you cannot hear or you cannot speak. Yes. Correct. Correct. But most times, for instance, in this room right now, everybody can speak, everybody can hear. And yet, many of us have a deaf and dumb spirit. Okay. First, let me prove it to you from the scriptures, and then we're going to break it down. Which means you may have to give me a few minutes. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Once I start reading this scripture, it's, you, you guys are gonna, you're going to get it right away. Verse 18. Context. The angel visited Zacharias to let him know his prayers have been heard. Zechariah, you are about to become a papa. You're going to have a child. Okay? Verse 18. After the angel has spoken to Zechariah, Zechariah responded, and Zechariah said unto the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. Angels responds, verse 19, and the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But, behold, you will be what? Mute. And not able to what? Speak. Until the day that these things take place. Why? Because you did 
not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their own time. Wow. So if you saw Zacharias without knowing the context, you just discovered he can't hear and he cannot speak. Now, I know some of you are saying, but Pastor, they just said it's going to be dumb. How about being able to speak? Oh, really? You want to know? Let, let, me, just, let, me, let me clarify that before we uh, even go further. In verse, uh, verse 59, verse 59, same chapter, verse 59. So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. His mother answered and said, no, he shall be called John. But they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. Look at verse 62. If Zechariah could hear, why are they making signs? Verse 62. So they made signs to his father. What he will have him called. Hello. If Zechariah could hear, they will not make signs to him. What's the connection? This unbelieving evil heart in Zechariah became ultimately a deaf and dumb spirit. This is the issue for those of us who are big on deliverance. This is the caution. They bring somebody to you who is deaf and dumb. You see the manifestations of deaf and dumb person rolling on the floor, foaming in the mouth. You pursue those manifestations. You don't know the root. The root cause is not what you are seeing. But adventure, what you need to pray for is the spirit of unbelief that causes a deaf and dumb spirit. So if he saw Zacharias on that day and he was not able to speak, nor hear, would you have connected the dots to know he was a deaf and dumb because of unbelief? Do you see what I'm saying to you? Why am I sharing this with you? Because in July, the seventh month, a breakthrough wants to come to you. Amen. And if you are to receive that breakthrough, you must be out of the control of a deaf and dumb spirit of unbelief. You will resist what God is bringing to you. You will debate what God is saying. You will not be able to apprehend what God wants to do. Why? Because you are functioning in the spirit of unbelief. Now, now, just so you know, if you are under this influence, let me break it down. Yes. Don't be offended. But I need to break it down for you. And just so you know, in Mark chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, I won't read it, you can get it later. Jesus could do no mighty work in Nazareth because of their unbelief. Can you believe that? The son of God walked up and down his own street, his own neighborhood, his own town, and could do no mighty work. Why? Unbelief shut him down. Except lay hands, lay hands on a few folk, the Bible said. He could do anything stupendous. Unbelief shut him down. I pray that the spirit of unbelief be cast out of this place in Jesus' name.
how do I know if I'm under the influence of this deaf and dumb spirit? Number one, I cannot hear the voice of God nor receive revelation. If you're not hearing the voice of God or receiving revelation, input from heaven in your life, you qualify for a deaf and dumb spirit. Secondly, you can hear and sit under an anointed message of preaching or teaching. But you never leave the service seeing how it applies to you. Wow. Let me say that again. How do I know if I'm under the, if I'm under the influence and the control of a deaf and dumb spirit? I hear an anointed message but I never see how the message applies to me where I am right now. Wow. Mm. If that's happening to you, you come into church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, you're watching TV after TV after TV, you listen to CDs over and over, you read the Bible, read, 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 and you never can take away an application. What you need to do now? Deaf and dumb spirit is controlling your life. Wow. What does this spirit do? It casts an atmosphere of doubt. Skepticism over individuals, cities, nations, and even churches. Just so you know how bad this spirit is. Based on what I know now, I'll tell you the truth. I know this, is, this, this may be very controversial but I'd rather have an adulterous man or woman than an unbeliever, an unbeliever hard person. Yes. You guys think of what I just said. I'd rather befriend a man or a woman who's an adulterer right. than befriend a man or a woman who has an evil heart of unbelief. Based on what I know now, Why? Because unbelief is the tree where all these other things grow. Adultery, fornication, stealing, lying, anger. These are just fruit on the tree of unbelief. So if we are chasing those symptoms and the tree remains, what do you think will happen? So you remove the fruit of uh, adultery. Remove the fruit of uh, uh, anger. Other things will grow in itself because the tree is still standing. Yes. Wow. You are chasing the wrong things. What we need to be dealing with is the evil heart of unbelief. As long as I have the evil heart of unbelief, everything will grow on that tree. But if I eliminate that tree of unbelief, all the symptoms disappear. Let me tell you how bad this is. In the book of Hebrews, an entire generation could not enter the promised land not because of adultery, not because of communication. Of course, we don't condone. We don't encourage those things. You understand that. I'm speaking to a people who has discernment. You understand that I am not encouraging or endorsing those bad 
perverse lifestyles. No, absolutely not. They have devastation and bring destruction on many sorrows. We're not encouraging that. But we know that Israel did not go into their promised land not because of their idolatry or adultery, but because of the singular sin of unbelief. That's what stopped them. Now, individually, how do you know these symptoms in your life? How do you know what is influencing you? Here, here we go. You, you ready for this? Number one signal, you're negative. Number one signal, you are negative. No matter what people bring to you, they bring these guns. Ah, look at this temperature gun. You look and say, ah, why is it orange? <laughs> you cannot appreciate it for what it is. You have to find a reason or a way to complain. You are negative. That spirit emanates from you. It just oozes out. It's your DNA. If you are like that, the spirit of a deaf and dumb spirit is in operation in your life. Number two, signal, signal, or uh, symptom. Pessimism. Pessimism. We bring a business deal in. We're going to get, go into business. We want to do a business. I share with you. You ask me 99 and a half questions, and none of them has anything to move me closer to my breakthrough. All your questions are intended and targeted to stop me. How do you know? Unbelief! Death and dumb spirit. You're pessimist. You see a glass. What are in it? People who believe say, this glass is half full. No, you can't see that. Why is it half empty? You know yourself. I'm praying for you as I'm speaking. That God will help you to understand that this is a terrible spirit that's going to stop you in July. Amen. God forbid. Amen. Number three. Any spirit that's speaking and talking through you that says we are not able. I don't care what the problem is. I don't care how huge it is. I don't care how high the mountain is. Your attitude given to you by God from God should always be we are more than able. You should never allow those words out of your mouth. We are not able. Case in point, Israel, when they were talking about being grasshoppers, we can take over the land. Thank God for Joshua and Caleb. We are more than able. Because God on our side is more than the majority. Is that your attitude? You see, because when we talk about unbelief, we can leave it out there. And we are comfortable because it's out there. But we need to bring it home. Are you operating in that spirit of unbelief? We need to combat it. Despair. What does that mean? You go to work, you get there, 
the notice on your desk. Work is over. We are closing your location. We are taking your entire department to Ukraine. <laughs> and you are not moving with it. You get a quick notice on your job. Are you gripped by despair? Yes. Or does God kick in to help you understand that if you release this, something bigger, better is about to happen? Because if one door does not shut, another does not open. So when you are operating under faith, believing God, once that door is closed, you, you call it celebration. Oh my God. You guys don't understand what I'm saying. You call it celebration. Why? You're already anticipating something good that's about to happen to you. Why? Because God's thoughts for you are not thoughts of evil, but of peace to bring you to an expected end. Grasshopper mentality. Yes. I, I talked about that last week a little bit. Always thinking of the least to get by. I'm sorry. I need to go back to my airline uh, uh, illustration. You're trying to fly to London. And you, you want to go to New Jersey, from New Jersey to Iceland, from Iceland to... to you, you're going to you, an eight-hour journey. You want to do it in twenty-three hours? Why? Because you save two hundred dollars. <laughs> you want to save two hundred dollars and spend twenty-four hours of your lifetime. <laughs> Grasshopper mentality. People who are not older than you, who are not better than you, are flying in the first class. First class. Ah. Say upgrade. Say upgrade. Say upgrade. Say upgrade. I can thank God for where I am now. I have to be faithful, be a good steward where I am now. However, I must never camp there. I must thank God for the upgrade. The people flying first class, are they better than you? They wear three trousers. They have two heads. Absolutely not. What we are talking about is the mentality. The grasshopper. Don't always think the cheapest. The lowest. The, the, the least uh, obstacle. When you are thinking like that, you diminish God. The Bible said God gives us good things to enjoy. Who did he give it for? Osama bin Laden? If he gives us good things to enjoy, why can't you as his child be the one that enjoy it? Grass, hopper, I don't want anybody like this around me. Don't come near me at all. Please, I'm, I'm giving the warning today. Don't come near me. Because this July, I'm facing my mission like a flint. If an unbeliever, get delivered. But if you, remain, if you remain in your unbelief, I'm telling you, don't come around me. Don't propose to me your grasshopper mentality. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. How do I know if I'm operating under the influence of unbelief? I'm problem focused. I'm always thinking of the problem. Rather than think of the God who solves the problem. 
Program focused. Program focused. My children are not doing well. Ah, they, they are not scoring good grades in school. Da, da, da. On and on and on and on. You are thinking about the problem. How about the God that can give them wisdom? My business had a loss last week. Had a loss last month. Really? How about the God that can give you surplus? Oh my, my husband is misbehaving. And you focus on that. And you make your husband the, the mountain. And God created him. And you are telling me God does not have the, the ability to reach him? Wow. Or my wife for that matter. Oh. God cannot reach your wife? Are you kidding me? If God cannot reach my wife, my one wife, how can I trust him to take off the earth? Hello? Hello? Do you see how ridiculous that is? Yes. If I'm saying God cannot deal with my wife, but he's going to deal with the universe, he can't deal with one human being, but he's going to take care of the stars and the, and the moon and the earth and the planets. Do you see the contradiction? How ridiculous we are? Yes. Yes. Ah, the last one is reasoning. Reasoning. You, 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 you analyze the thing to death. Until you kill it and bury it. Forget about it. Mark chapter 8, verse 17. Reasoning. You have to understand God does not function on the basis of our reasoning. If he did, he would not give the young son the inheritance before time. It's not about reasoning, it's about grace and love that is scandalous. Scandalous love. Yes. You can't reason with God. If you reason, you reason yourself out of your blessing. Wow. God said, believe. believe. And that all things are possible to them that believe. believe. So here's believe. the solution. Jesus gave it. In, let me just go through it quickly and then I know time is gone. But this is so important because of what we're about to do now. So just indulge me. In Mark chapter 7. In verse 29. So he said to them, This kind come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. How do I get rid of my pessimism? How do I get rid of my negativity? How do I get rid of all of these things that's influencing me that can possibly stop me in July? We're going to fast. You guys just, did somebody die? <laughs> We're going to fast. As a responsible father, knowing what God already showed is about to happen, I want to ensure you don't miss out on it. Amen. The first day of next month, July 1, Wednesday, Thursday and a Friday, three days. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we are going to call a solemn fast to combat unbelief. Yes. Jesus already told us this kind, what kind? This kind of unbelief does not come out except by prayer and fasting. We are not twisting God's arm. To give a breakthrough that's not already made. No, the breakthrough is already made. It's ready. Hallelujah. The problem is we are not prepared to receive it. Why? Unbelief. Yes. 
Wednesday through Friday, July 1 through the 3rd. Why are you looking? You don't know what the date is? Hey, you go, go, go to the beach. That's, she says she say it's July 4th weekend. I'm here. What, what are they? Reasoning. <laughs> I know what weekend it is. And you know what's so funny? God wrote the weekends before you and I got here. But I don't know about you. It depends on how desperate you are. You see what I'm saying? Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, 8 p.m. to 9 o'clock. We come, we share, we encourage one another, and we pray. Listen, I don't want you to miss out on your inheritance. Pardon me? You me here. <laughs> this is amazing. I'm getting tucked back on the front row. <laughs> it's 4th of July. I won't be here. Uh, I need to go bury this man. I need to go to this wedding. I need to, all kinds of reasons. I hear them. I thank God for you. Wherever you're going, Godspeed, Johnny, mercies. But as for me and your house and those of us who are desperate to break through in July, we will be here. Eight o'clock Wednesday, Thursday, Friday will be expedient. But please, please, please prepare your mind. You've located yourself from what I just gave as the symptoms. I don't want to be careless with this. Find out where you are. Are you negative? Are you a pessimist? Are you constantly reasoning and arguing and debating? Find where you are. Oh, I know they're here. You are telling me? I know, I know they're here. Locate yourself and make that the focal point of that fast. I want to combat and destroy negative attitude. I want to combat and destroy a pessimistic attitude. Yes. I want to combat and destroy everything in me that's always questioning God's move. Make that a target. And then you determine what kind of fast you are going to have. Number two. F complete fast. Partial fast. Participate where you are. You understand what I'm saying? And then number three. Anticipate a reaction. You're going to get tired. You're going to get irritable. Anticipate all of that. And number four, and you need to do this. Repent of unbelief. Amen. Now, yes. let, let me make sure you understand what I mean by that. I'm not saying repent so God can love you. No. No. This is for you. Repent means change your mind. Yes. Change your mind. Determine before you start fasting. God, I thank you for the grace to reject every lie I've believed. Amen. Do that. Embrace the word of God and the promises of God. And every lie you've believed, openly renounce them. Hallelujah. Renounce them. Amen? Amen? My time is gone. It's 1230. Bless you. In Jesus' name.